Today's episode is brought to you by Sherry's Berries. Uh, Mother's Day is right around the corner. I have a mother. You have a mother, presumably. And uh, why not give her something nice like Sherry's Berries? Uh, enormous, fresh, juicy, mouth-watering berries dipped in white milk and dark chocolate, topped with chocolate chips, decorative swizzle, or nuts. Uh, these are delicious berries starting at nineteen ninety-nine. And you can get them with a 40% savings uh, by using the code WRITERS, W-R-I-T-E-R-S, when you order. Or double the berries for just $10 more. Click on the mic in the upper right corner and use my code WRITERS. Uh, I bet your mouth is watering right now. I know mine is just thinking about Sherry's berries. Uh, Send them to your mom. Send them to your loved one. Send them to your grandmother. You know, people forget grandmothers on Mother's Day. Uh... Maybe you should think about them uh, once in a while. Isn't it time grandmother's got some berries? Visit berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com to order. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in writers. Uh, and, and use the code writers uh, to get over 40% savings uh, or double the berries for just $10 more. This deal expires Friday at midnight, so make sure you order now. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello, you are listening to part two of a special crossover episode. There's a lot of action going on during this intro. You are listening to part two of a special crossover episode with my pals from the Children of Tendu podcast. If you are unfamiliar with the Children of Tendu podcast, it is uh, Javier Grio Markswatch and Jose Molina who are, have been uh, panelists on the Nerdist panel several times and are television writer-producers with over 40 years of combined experience on shows including Lost, Firefly, Sleepy Hollow, Helix, Terra Nova, and more. Uh, and they do a really fun podcast that really digs deep on certain aspects of being a television writer and producer. So please check out their podcast and check out episode 10 of their podcast specifically for part one, of this crossover event, uh, you will hear right off the bat Javi uh, and then I think me and Jose, as well as our guests for this podcast, Rene Echevarria and Narin Shankar, both of whom uh, Javi and Jose consider mentors and uh, who have a really great storied history working on Star Trek and all kinds of shows, uh, which we will talk about. So please enjoy this. Please enjoy Children of Tendu. And if you enjoy either or both, please leave a review on iTunes. Hey guys, one more thing. Uh, we're still doing this retreat in Orvieto, Italy, which I am teaching. A two-week workshop uh, whereby you will write a script, a TV script, a movie script. You can work on comic book stuff. Whatever you want that I can help you write. We're going to spend two weeks writing in Italy, about 90 minutes north of Rome, in this beautiful little town uh, there are not very many Americans there, so we're the worst ones there. Um, and it's it's just the most fun you can have while actually getting work done. Um, about half the group last year came out with really excellent drafts of um, TV pilots and, and movie scripts. Uh, and I think this year will be even better. I think we have about six... Uh, people signed up, and we're looking for a couple more, uh, you know, and I'm looking for some high-quality 
writers and humans because, uh, you know, we're all going to be hanging out for two weeks. So I'd like some good people. And if you listen to the Nerdist Writers panel, then you are good people. So come to Italy, uh, come for a couple weeks, write a script, and, you know, you never know what will happen. One of the students uh, who wrote a script is now in this year's ATX pitch competition. Another one has had some interest from agents and stuff. Um, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, and, and, you know, I know you guys can do this. You just have to put aside the couple weeks, join us in Italy. Go to michelangeloscreenwriting.com. Uh, that's, you know, like the artist, Michelangelo screenwriting.com. Click on the Orvieto Retreat, Practical Film and TV Writing. We'll do some kind of basic stuff, but really it's a workshop. I treat it like a writer's room, and, you know, we all sit around and we work on each other's stuff, and it's collaborative and it's fun, and like I said, let's get some good people there, uh, which I know that you are. Michelangeloscreenwriting.com. Come write in Italy. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. But so, so, so what, what was the show you did after, after you, so you were on Deep Space Nine, and you wrote that out till the bitter end, right? Um, to, 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 not the bitter end. <laughs> that's, how, that's not how it felt. <laughs> yes. I, yes, I still, I stayed. You, you rode that steed to its glorious <laughs> wormhole-like glowing yeah. ending, which, yeah, which finished, I, I, which I've spoken to at great, at, at a great length too. And yeah. then, and then what, where did you go after that? I, um, I, ba- oh, now and again. Yeah. I mean, Paramount basically, mm-hmm. basically, uh, Steve Stark, who was an executive of Paramount at the time called me up and said, I, I know you've always talked about wanting to go back to New York. There's a show that's going to be shooting in New York, staffing in New York. Glenn Gordon-Karen, who, who you know, did uh, Moonlighting, Lighting, you know, and, and take a look at it, you know, and, and so that's, I, mm. I, I moved to New York for a year to oh, wow. do that show. So you, and, and that was a huge <laughs> culture change. You know, you later, you and I yeah. together worked yeah. with Glenn, um, you know, in terms of there was no room, there was no, I mean, there was a room because I was there. Right. Um, well, that's medium. Now and again, there. Now and again, there was actually, I was the I was the supervising producer. I had finally thrown off. You got a bump. You got a yeah, bump. There was a, there was a co-EP. Oh my god, poor man. <laughs> yeah, there's a co-EP who got fired. Um, <laughs> you know, a few months in, mm-hmm. and and was never replaced. So I sort of, you know, as best I could, I sort of. Now, now, now and again is writers. an interesting show because that show is basically about a, a John Goodman becomes Eric Close after a train accident. His brain is transplanted yeah. to the body of Captain America. Yeah. So it's a sci-fi show, but Glenn is not somebody who embraces sci-fi. I mean, it's like, so th- it was was it, it, it? It seems like a really good metaphor for that odd fit of being a sci-fi guy in 1998 or 1999 or whenever, mm. and 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 all of a sudden you're in a world that doesn't necessarily value those skills, but is beginning to use them in the way that TV does yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, what was that? What was what was the process like there? I mean, did did you pitch sci-fi stuff and be told no, that's sci-fi? And then I mean, what was the? Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was such a be, partly because of. Who Glenn is and how he works, mm-hmm. and and that's a whole nother podcast. Right. Um, we've spoken uh, yeah. to, uh, a fair, a little bit, a little bit, you know, about but partly also because that show was so difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was deliberately, it was an impossible premise. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was a romance at the at, at its core, and of course they had to be together, but they couldn't be together. Right. You know, and if they were together, he, that was that was Captain America and John Goodman's wife, uh, because yeah. she didn't know that that her husband's brain was in the so body of Captain America. Was forbidden right. from seeing her. Right. But there's no show if he doesn't find a way to see her. So every week had to have a thing, you know, <laughs> of that, that, that got them together, mm-hmm. or, or you know. So that was enormously difficult, mm-hmm. and 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 because 
partly because of the premise, partly because of the way Glenn mm -hmm. worked, you know, it was just, there was no room, there was just a lot of writers walking around, sort of stunned. <laughs> well, well, I don't know what to do, well, you know, I don't, but, but, I don't you know, know, what, what is the show, I don't know, I don't, you know. Right. And right. sort of making it up as, as we went mm -hmm. along. And right. that's a hard thing for, to, to really push on writers, it's like, you know, we, we've all been in those kinds of rooms before, but when you don't get that communication back, yeah. oh my God, or, or well, the vision I, isn't communicated, mm -hmm. holy crap. It's I, well, one, one of our, our, our big, you know, and look, I think people run shows however they'll run shows because ultimately it's an auteur showrunner medium. I think that that our preference, as we've stated many times, is 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 that the showrunner really be a communicator of the show's vision, and that you know, like like I mean, I've, I've said in a previous podcast that that it's really you just have to sing the same song. The real question is, are you in the in the you know, are you singing it yeah. to everybody? Mm -hmm. um, which, which and you know, for medium. Mm -hmm. Just to finish that thought, Glenn, you know that that show had a franchise. Yes, absolutely. And you know, and and Glenn was much clearer. Mm -hmm. You know, right. and he would come in and and you know, mm -hmm. very. You know, in a, in a, in, with the bluntness of Michael Pillar, <laughs> say, you know, I hate that. You mm -hmm. know, that's that doesn't work. You know, that's silly. Yeah. You know, I'm mm -hmm. embarrassed. You know, what are you doing? Actually, I gave Renee my writer's guild card more than once on that show. That was sort of like I would just take it out of my wallet and hand it. But, over, but he, so. would, he would tell you. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah. No, I, and, what, and, what, and, and you know, say this is what you should be. You know, if you can figure this out, if you can find a way for. That to become this, and then and then somehow twist it around, it would yeah. be golden. Well, there was there was always that moment okay. in a pitch. Yeah, there was always that moment in a pitch when he would sort of, you know, sort of hold out his index finger and go, "That's interesting," <laughs> and that's when you knew you had something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so 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 you went to so you went to now and again. You're you're finally supervising producer, and then came Dark Angel, right? Then came Dark Angel, which yeah. I, I'm 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 harping a little oh. bit on this only because I know this is your. We've spoken so much about your experiences. This is your. Confluence between Renee a showrunner and Jose a staff writer. This is where all my uh, dumb bits started. Mm -hmm. uh, historically, was uh, in around the year 2000 uh, when Renee was instrumental in hiring me for my first gig. Um, and I've shared a lot of stories. So I'm actually going to take this opportunity in 2000 to rewind your staff writer years um, because I have embarrassed myself uh, with many, many stories that. I won't remind you if you want to hear them. They're on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, we... He almost thinks of them endlessly. Pretty, pretty virtual, virtual reality? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was one. <laughs> doesn't that... I remember. Doesn't that smack of desperation? <laughs> you know, you know, there was... There was <laughs> I was a staff writer, Noreen, when I said that. There was, there was a dartboard in Noreen's office. is not his first language. That certainly isn't what he meant. Is, there, what, I, is what I thought. <laughs> there, there was a pitch response dartboard that I think Ron Moore made in your office. Uh, and, and, and my favorite thing in it was there was one thing where, like, it was just responses to pitches. You'd throw darts at it, and it would give you what response you had to do to the pitch. And one of them was, it was for Next Generation, one of them was Space Pirates? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so Anyway, <laughs> but go on. I apologize. So, um, so yeah, there's plenty of uh, dumb things that I did, but I'm curious because I actually we've known each other a long time, but I don't know your embarrassing staff writer stories, like shit that you did when you were first coming up that you go, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. Moira and I, almost every time we get together and we share war stories, at one point in the conversation, we will always turn to one another and go, God, we were insufferable. <laughs> So are there any stories where you look back on your early days and go, wow, I was a fucking idiot? 
or maybe you guys are far smarter than Javier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, well I, I, and, we, and we, we're not asking that just for the perverse joy of hearing you talk about your awful staff writers here. It's actually because one of the things that we look at as our as our priority here is is to try to keep people from making some of the mistakes we made. And also, so for example, yeah. I've told the story about how I told the showrunner once, uh, oh yeah, this is much better than having taken the X-Files and having Chris Carter throw scripts at me, which I was never actually offered, but I would say that a lot to those guys. Things like that are things that I encourage young writers who may be listening to this podcast to not do. Right. And so, also, so it's actually in the interest of a, of a greater good. And, and also, we're we're going to uh, jump from staff writer all the way to, to show running in a minute, so it's I, I want to compare the polar opposites of like how you, as my boss, would hear things like this idea smacks of desperation and not fire me immediately. So, like, <laughs> okay, uh, well, like the, the learning curve of you dealing with schmucks like me um, and, and how you teach a schmuck like me to not be a schmuck. Right. Well, and I know you're I still mean, look, working yeah, progress. We all, we all, yeah, there are things that I'm mortified, you know, that I, I remember very distinctly about at my, my first production meeting, um, you know. And this was a big deal, being invited to a production meeting. That wasn't necessarily, you know... Uh, Something that you know in, that in, in the way Rick ran things, and it was my first one. I think it was True Q, mm -hmm. and you know, um, all the heads of the departments are there. It's Thirty people, you know, and at some at one point somebody said something about it. And, you know, we needed sh the shuttlecraft, and I said, oh, you know, can we use can we use the big one? And because there were two, there was one, and there was and and, 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 and David Livingston said, sure, why not? And I go, oh, thank God, because that little one is really cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, blah, it just came out. Okay, so, and so Herman Zimmerman, and Herman Zimmerman, who designed that shuttlecraft, was sitting right next to you at the time, right? Uh, no, I think David Livingston said, oh, that's great to hear, Rick, because I designed that shuttle. Okay. And then, and then Rick just kind of looked at me and goes, you're a regular Ron Moore, aren't you? <laughs> oh, man, that's good. I, have, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't heard that one. Um, my one like that was the first time I was asked into a casting meeting with uh, Judy and Larry Johnson uh -huh. and Ron Surma. And um, and it's like, well, how do you see this character? Like, see, young, is he old? And I go, I go, I'm sitting there. Oh, he's old. He's 35. <laughs> <laughs> and they all looked at me and laughed, <laughs> which was fantastic. indicative of really of. I mean, and I think this is true: is that our staff, like informative staff experience, may I think may have been a little bit different from a lot of people because we were all really young. I mean, and, and all first-timers, and that's mm -hmm. very unusual. And, and that was because of how we all were brought in on specs or on internships. Jerry was a very maternal figure in the sense that she would just let us play a lot. She didn't, she didn't interject herself tremendously into the room. At least that's not how I remember it. She would let us riff. She and, would and let and us wait riff. until she heard something she liked yeah. and say, I think we can build on that. And control it a little bit. But, but it, was really, it was a very gentle kind of shaping. So we had a very very active free-for-all kind of in the room. And that was like, and so those were like, you know, my first couple of years on staff or that's not normal because usually you get a staff that has a lot more variation in it. You have, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of young people, a couple of first timers more. And then, and so it, it's a whole, it's a, it's a different experience when you're all kind of learning and making it up together. Cause Ron was the most experienced one in the room by like a year know? or two though. Right. But, but wow. exactly. Year. And only by that much. <laughs> so it was, so I think that's kind of, um, 
that, that's not normal. Do you feel like you've tried? I mean, I, I, it's a loaded question because I think I feel that having worked with both of you, I kind of know the answer. But ha have you tried to export that culture out, or do you when you get on a show? Because I remember, you know, having a room on Medium, and you know, again, Glenn Karen is a showrunner who prefers to have writers work independently and pitch himself and all that. Um, is it something that you've consciously tried to export, or is it just this is how you know how to work? I mean, what what has that been? I, I think it is. It's it's it is the kind of the only way I know how to work. Yeah, you me know? too. And and. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I I remember there were things that, you know, drove me crazy. You know, as a staff writer, you know, you know, uh, for example, you know, you'd write a, you'd write a draft and you essentially wrote the board, you wrote mm -hmm. the beat sheet, right? You know, and then you sit down with your bosses and you're you know you put you poured two weeks of your life into it and your heart and soul and you've stayed up late and worked weekends and and then they start flipping flipping through and going, ah, this doesn't work. <laughs> and you're just like, but I did exactly what we talked about, and you die. You're just screaming. You're wanting to scream that out, and of course you can't because right. it's not politic, um, and it's not in a way. It's not really relevant. But I, re I've always remember that, I, and I've always, if in when that's the case, I'm, I always would go out of my way as a showrunner to say, look, I know you did what we discussed. You know, right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but he, you know, here's the thing. Here's where I think we've gone. You know, and own it with mm -hmm. with them. That, right. And then I, then you then you find you know that that person is sitting there just going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was that way. Ron was that way. You're just so angry at Michael. You know, whatever. You approve this board. Right. You know, you, that's how you, you'd walk out and you. That's what you'd scream. You approve this board. I can't believe. <laughs> but that's, that's so funny. I, I exactly the same way. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like you go, yes, I know you did the board, but it doesn't work on the page. Let's you know? figure out how to make it work. Yeah, it's like that's we, we much, all that's, take collective ownership of that. That's on all of us. Absolutely. I think you know? we, and we it, and it totally is because of that. Yeah. I completely remember yeah. that because it drove me crazy too. Yeah. And probably all it takes is just that little smidge of of niceness. Instead of going mm -hmm. like, yeah, this doesn't work at all. We got to start over. Instead of saying, hey, we fucked up. We, You and I and the staff, when we put this up on the board, we we broke it wrong. Let's now us together fix. You know, I'll, but, I'll, let me. Can I give you yeah. a little story about about my first script on CSI? Because this was because you know this was coming in as a as an upper level hire, the first one they really had brought onto the show, in, at the end of season uh, beginning of season three, I guess. Um, we had broken a story on the board, and everybody signed off on it. Carol Mendelson, Ann Donahue, Anthony Zyker, they had all signed off on the script, and we were all happy with it. And I'm writing it. And I'm writing it, and the story's fucked. All right, this is like I mean, it, 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 you just get to that point. You go, oh, this isn't working, and and this was my first script on a big show. And I and I went to Ann Donahue and I said, this story is fucked. Here's why it's fucked. Here's how I want to make it better. And and it was like a like a five minute conversation in the stairwell. And she said, you know what? That sounds great. Go for it. But it's like you have to have, and, and, it, and I think it was partially because you get nurtured into believing that, you know, like the job at the script stage is to make the story work, whether or not anything is on the board. And if you've been brought up in rooms where, where you know, you get punished for deviating. It's like mm -hmm. it's like There's you that. don't have that courage to actually go in and, and do something like that because that was like a roll of the dice. Because I mean, like you know, I'm just starting on the show. I'm you know still still under the option period. Like nothing's. I've never put anything on paper. That's what I like to encourage writers to do. I, I say like, look, 
this is the break. We're all cool. But if you're writing this script and you, do, you have a problem, come in and talk about it and say, like, this isn't working. Here's why. And here's how we can fix it. The, the, That's the job of a writer at all stages of the process. There's a lot of what uh, a friend of mine, John Rogers, who created Leverage and mm -hmm. all that, he calls learned helplessness in the uh, in, in the writing ranks of a show. You know, when you've worked with a lot of very sort of abusive autocratic leaders that you just sort of go like, oh, there's just no way out. I have to just live with this board and not do anything. But I find that if you just go out, if you just get in front of a problem and own it, you, you can usually solve it, you know, which seems to be kind of what you're, what you're discussing. But, I mean, and that is, that is the worst, where, you, you know, if you feel like you're going to be punished for deviating, yeah. mm -hmm. you are truly, you know, handcuffing the, the writer. I mean, I, you know, what I think I took away from Star Trek and working with Ron and, and, and everybody and all those people was just, we always were fighting to make it better, yeah. you know, and until the last possible deadline. I remember... Uh, she was a producer. Uh, she, she was, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of life right. producer, and just. Well, Lita? No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. Um, anyway, she, you know, and just calling Michael and, and essentially the, and the, whoever, and the, maybe the writer. That was mm -hmm. me to task because we were behind schedule. And what do you mean you're changing it? And we can't. We're not going to have anything ready. Mm -hmm. And he just was like, I'm sorry. I have to. I have to address this. And he goes, you know, my job. Is to make it as good as it can be, and you know if and, and until and I will keep doing that until the last possible. Now, second. this was you who said this, or this no? Was this was this was Michael. Michael, okay, yeah. Um, and you know, so I, well, we coming out of a culture of, of just wanting it to be as good as it could be. You know, right. I mean, there's a there, you know there's there are shows which will go unnamed. <laughs> you know where <laughs> where you know it is about like you know yeah that. That that works. That sounds good enough. Mm -hmm. That's right. an episode. Let's go. That's, That's fine. Yeah. Miller time. That'll, that'll work. <laughs> you know. Um, the, you other, know and, the other thing that's great about that attitude from Michael, and I actually got um, a show of that myself from uh, Julie Pleck, which was he was protecting you and basically going, "Production, stay away from this right now. We're working on the script, and I'm right. going to protect my writers. I'm the boss. I'm the umbrella. Yeah. You leave Renee alone so that so that he can write." And I had an experience on, on Vampire Diaries where production was really sort of jumping down my neck and sent, you know, this very angry email about how, you know, this thing was irresponsible and we couldn't do it, blah, 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 and the script is a mess and it needs to be completely thrown out. And, and Julie really, um, amazingly to her credit, wrote back an email and copied me on it and basically started the email with, first of all, don't you ever talk to my writers like that again. Oh wow! Yeah, that's, that's gutsy. That's great. And, and yeah, because the the a lot of what this email said was, "You fucking writers, what are you doing to us?" Right. And so Julie yeah. was like, "Stop right there. Mm -hmm. If well, you want to complain, I, 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 writers, I, by the way, I've worked on a show where that was actually encouraged, where the executive producer, and the show shall remain nameless, but I worked on a show where the executive producer actually pretty much encouraged a certain kind of like like uh, production would abuse the writers. There's nice. a lot of what the fuck were you thinking emails yeah. that, I, that I am aware of. So that's actually really good that a producer would <laughs> I mean, do it's that. not uncommon for uh -huh. the production to feel like the writers are the enemy because they are. They're people mm -hmm. coming with asking for the impossible. You right. Know? And they're behind schedule and they keep changing right. things and, you know, you, um, other, you I, said I, we needed an elephant yeah. for Tuesday. Now you're telling me we need an airplane. You know, and... and, and I have the elephant. Mm -hmm. it just, it's in my parking space. It's shadow over my car. You know? I mean, you, and you, have to, you have to be aware of that. You, you, know? you do have to deal with it with a certain amount of... I, I think it goes both ways. There's got to be the empathy that you have for them realizing that the elephant's shitting on their Jaguar. Yeah. And, well, on their car. Maybe not a Jaguar. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> okay. But, or... Uh, that's, or, or a, that's an interesting show, though. An elephant, shitting, an elephant shits on a Jaguar? I've got to watch that for to, hours. I'm I, looking to get into reality. I think we have something. Well, no, you know... I'm sorry. But, but, no, but it's just the idea that you have to have a little empathy for production, but it goes the other way. They have to like also know that yeah. you're yeah. but and it's it's smart to remember 
the, your showrunner is dealing with all that shit. Right. You know, not just you and your script, mm -hmm. but, you know, because it's, it's very easy to just see it through what you need to do and you're, you know, and, and you're, remember that showrunner is, you know, also got a script in, on the stage right now that might have problems. There's a script in post-production right now that might have problems and, you know, trying to get a couple stories broken and approved, mm -hmm. you know, and you're coming in with your little piece of the puzzle. Right, and, and yeah, that's sometimes why you're going to get your head bit off. Let me ask uh, along those lines. You know, I'm I'm a low level writer, and I want to know what I can do to make my boss's job easiest. You know, besides handing in the best script I can do. You know, what what can I do in the room? What can I do outside the room to make his or her job the easiest? I mean, look, I mean, uh, we've all had the feeling that you know when it, when you get a good script, you literally feel like collapsing to the ground and kissing the writer's feet <laughs> in gratitude. <laughs> you know, because maybe it means you're going to go home this weekend, you know, and see your family or whatever. So, um, you know, so yeah, delivering on a great, delivering a great script, but it's, I think, also, to some extent, being a self-starter in the sense that, you know, it doesn't always have to come out of the break or it doesn't have to be an idea that, that the showrunner came in and said, I think we should do, you know... My three sons, or whatever you know, this week, or whatever it is, you know. But coming in and saying, "I have an idea," you know, and and presenting it, presenting it in in, in, a, in enough of a full fledged sense that that, mm -hmm. that somebody can go, "Yeah, you know what? That's great. Let's do it." And maybe even if it's not your turn in the rotation, if somebody, if there's a a, a, a lacuna on the in the room, mm -hmm. you need to fill it. And if you're the guy that comes in and fills it, even though. You just did a script, then you just made your showrunner's life that much easier because the thing that needed to be generated, the person that was supposed to generate it for whatever reason couldn't, and you saved the day. So that's, I, I mean, think, whatever you can do to help, if you're writer, not yet producer, mm -hmm. I think the best thing you can do is probably help to make the writing. Help all, all the other writers mm -hmm. produce the best stories and scripts that they can. Yeah, be part of that. By team. the way, I think, Bran I think, I think, Brandon was the master at that. Really? He was like, he, he would write more scripts than anybody on, on Next Generation. And it, like, it would drive us crazy. But what he did was he would have in his desk like a pitch ready all the time. Wow. And so whenever we hit like a story problem, Brandon would go, I have an idea. <laughs> and it was really? right there. I never knew. That's oh, hell yeah. That's he did. did he did. And he would literally say, I have an idea. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do it. And he put it on Jerry's desk, and, and suddenly it's like, that's exactly what we need. Boom. And it was <laughs> gone. So and he's like, do like six, seven a, a, a year. And, and, you know, we were doing 26 episodes a yeah. season. And so it's like, but it was amazing. And it's actually, he was just, you know, it's a different area, of, a different era of television, obviously. But you know, it's like there's not every show lends itself to it. But yeah. we had a guy in CSI who did the same fucking thing. Let me let he me ask always you, had one in the drawer. Let, let me let me ask you a question to follow up on that. When wow. when when I when and that's I why he has his own airline right now. <laughs> <laughs> when when He's moving when, in that direction. Bless um, your airline. <laughs> no. Brandon. I don't. <laughs> we all imagine what that airline would look like. Um, anyway, so now, okay, so you're a low-level writer, and I remember when I was a low-level writer on one show specifically, which is the show in which I was most hated by my showrunner. Um, I, I decided that... A lot my, of contenders for that. A lot of contenders for that one, I, I freely admit it. But my, my philosophy became, well, fuck it, crunch all you want, I'll make more. And I literally just decided to overwhelm the guy with volume in the hopes that... It would over, it would overcome you know he would overcome his hatred of me and it actually wound up being one of the things where the the the, the strong number two came to me and said these pitches are great but I have to pitch them because if they come out of your mouth he's going to reject all of them and I want to do some of these wow but but my question to you is do you prefer so like if you have 
uh, uh, you know, sort of st staff writers and, and, and lower level people, do you prefer quantity? Do you prefer, I mean, obviously, if somebody brings a fully fleshed idea, you're going to go, great, let's do this. But sort of, I mean, do, do you prefer that they, that they just always be stepping up to bat or that they hold back and then come in when they have something that's fully baked? What? That's a good question. I mean, look, there's also, you, you can mistakenly think you have a lot of great ideas. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and, or or what, what is an idea? Uh -huh, right. You know, um, you know, and, and lots of times it's, you know, uh, let's, you know, let's do The Man With Two Brains, you know, and, and, and you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's some movie you've seen. And you Renee hasn't seen, seen a movie since 1978. <laughs> right. You know, or I, whatever. I like the reference. <laughs> it's a that's, funny movie. That's, that's, that's uh, Steve Martin. Yes. Yeah, Steve, David Carl Warner, Warner the great David Warner. Come on. Yeah. I, Into the mud, scum queen. Scum queen, yeah. yes, exactly. Dr. <laughs> Fire. All right. I'll be sorry. Really sorry. Uh, pointy birds from Pointy Pointy. Pointy Pointy. pointy, pointy. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. It's a caution. That, you know, you know, be, be aggressive. You, know, you can be. You can become annoying. You can be too aggressive. You know, yeah, of course. And, and you're not hearing why. You know, maybe you're not hearing why the ideas are are, are being rejected. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. I mean, the, I will implicate myself in that fully as well. I, I, I've, I've had that problem as a writer. Yeah. Can I ask yeah. you about something, Renee? Because this is something that um, I picked up from you. I think it was season two of Dark Angel, and we haven't talked much about the writing process itself, uh, or really story, we really talked much more about the business part of it than the creative side of it, but there was something that you said to me that really sort of flipped how I approached trying to sell a story or pitch a story or tell a TV story, and that was you made a really interesting distinction between plot and story. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, well, I guess I could say plot is when you find yourself going and then this happens and then this happens and then those guys show up looking for the thing and and it, you know and it's and then and then and then and then right. and you, you you I think you know you have a story when there's a moment in the pitch where you can basically stop and go and sit back and and the dynamics are in play and the person stops and goes <laughs> what happens? <laughs> you know, they lean forward and say, "Well, what happens? Is this going to happen, or is that going to happen? Is he going to figure out how to do this work?" You know, and and you've because you've laid, you know, you've laid out the dynamics of something, and that um, tends to be more uh, character dynamics than than mechanical plot uh, uh, stuff happening. It tends to be more about you well, know, especially when we were in television, yeah, especially because you know, uh, no matter how much jeopardy you try to conjure, for the most part, you know, at least in traditional network television. You know, all these characters are coming back next week. Right. <laughs> you know, so no one, so you know they're going to get out of it somehow. You know, so it's not about that. Right. You know, it's about. Because I, I remember specifically the, the the one instance where this that really hammered this home for me was it was I was up in the rotation and I kept sort of pitching monster of the week ideas and none of them would were going through. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Um, and at one point, I basically just grabbed you in the hallway and I was like. What am I doing wrong? Just tell me what you want me to do. And you sort of broke this down for me. And from that point on, I really realized that it's what you really want is to, to give the characters, make the story about the character, not about the thing. Give the characters an interesting choice or dilemma that falls smack in the middle of, of your story. And then the story is going to tell itself. So finally, what the idea that landed, which was had hardly any plot, but it was, uh, we're doing Dark Angel, Max and Logan, who couldn't touch, find a window, find a cure for this thing that allows them to touch for 24 hours. And then shit keeps them from, from touching. Mm -hmm. And because that instantly brought 
about interesting scenes and interesting moments between them and it evolved the relationship a little bit, well, that was a story. Mm -hmm. The thing that I was pitching about the monster who would come around spitting shit in people's faces to <clears throat> collect their teeth, that wasn't a story. <laughs> that, you know, that became the, the MacGuffin that we had to figure out, but mm -hmm. the, the actual heart of the episode was the choice that these two characters have to make. Do we save the world or do we selfishly use these 24 hours for ourselves? I, that, that goes right back to Michael Piller. To, you know, for me, you know that, that that's what he. I, I think that's what the discipline he, he brought to Star Trek because they were the first few seasons of Star Trek were, were all just, over the place. You know, it was like, oh, and they go to the planet where people do it this way, and we teach them the other ways. You know, or, or whatever it was, <laughs> and, and and Michael brought this. You know, well, who's it about? Which, I, I, one, which one of our people is it about? Right. You know? I, I think what you're describing is is part of you know. The time pressure in television is so intense that certain shows can fall back on the monster of the week. Like on, on CSI, we could like you know do like a really shitty hour of television, but it was but it was like it had lots of flashy cool shit in it, and there was a, mur a murder mystery to solve, even if it made no sense. It had no psychology, nothing interesting about it. But but what you go for, I think, is and I think it's somewhat wrong to to think about these things as separated. It's like because really you know great movies, the great great dramas on TV, you know, action reveals character. Character drives action. It's like those things are interrelated. Right. And the best stories do both of, the, of those things simultaneously. And I think that's one of the reasons that like, you're talking about James Cameron. It's like his action movies are really fucking good because of that. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like because those two things are not disconnected. It's not like right. a it's not like a, a character story jammed into the middle of an action story and those things are unrelated. Mm -hmm. That's bad. That's bad drama. Mm -hmm. It's like and, and I think that the problem is television is a medium, and maybe you know less so today than it was you know 15 years ago. You could get away with it. Going going across across the the, the, the table from Noreen to Jose, was there ever a moment in your own writing when it clicked and you said, "Holy crap, I got it"? Was there was there was there a watershed script for any of you where you sort of saw the pieces come together that way, or was it? I mean, we know it's a process and it's incremental, but did did you ever have a, a eureka moment, or was it? This is gonna sound. This is gonna sound silly, perhaps. Please, but I honestly. There are times when I felt I've I've gotten a scene, good, and I felt like a script has worked. I sort of like, I try to forget feeling like I figured shit out. Really, I do. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like because I I. I'm not really a, a creature of routine when it comes to, like, I change my process all the time. I change how I work in a break. I change how I write scripts or in teams. And it's like I, I vary it a lot because I feel like I, I like to keep figuring out new ways to do things. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, that's just, and, and that's just because it's easy to get stale. I am very suspicious of people who say that here's the solution. Oh, yeah, I have yeah, an yeah. answer. Let me tell you my theory of drama. It's like, it's like when I hear that shit, I go, ugh. And it's like, you know, so I, I maybe I'm overcorrecting, but I, I just try not to incorporate that. I, I have a short memory when it comes to things. I like, I literally like to believe like it's like, it's new. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm starting again. Noreen will actually on a take different route. You know, most of us, when you commute somewhere, <laughs> you literally, no, he's told me this years ago, I, it's you, true. you take, you, you know, you know the fastest way. Naran deliberately will, will go different ways on his commute. Is that just to keep your brain engaged? Yeah, it is, actually. Yeah. 
That's 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 funny because I remember on medium, because I remember on medium, which was shot in Raleigh Studios, Manhattan Beach, which is an hour from everybody's home yeah. who lives oh, in L.A. the The conversation about the route home was always like, you know, right, like right after lunch, everybody like, just check the cig alert. Yeah, we're gonna do that. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. What about you, Renee? Was there ever was has there been a watershed moment for you, or is it you know? So many watershed moments. <laughs> Impossible to count. Thank you for that. <laughs> My genius cannot be quantified. Uh, I mean, I think. Going back to something Noreen was saying about maybe the, the first time I went off script, off break, you know, and sort of had the courage to do that, and it wasn't about, you know, okay, this is the this is what we broke, and 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 staring at it, and 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 then you know turning it in and getting notes and doing the same scene five different times, you know, before it finally getting it right or finally getting it taken away from you, mm-hmm. you know. Or having Jerry take a pass at it, or Michael finally saying, "I'll just, I'll just write the scene," you know. Um, but I remember the first time that I, you know, went off on my own and figured it out, and, and this, you know, figure something else out and surprised everybody with it, you know, mm-hmm. and and it just worked, you know, um, and and it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a. It's just a great feeling where you just yeah. go like, oh my god, I've just actually seen the other side in some meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, oh, this is this is an exploration. Right. I realize that this, it's an exploration. It's not about um, yeah. expanding yeah, and, and the contents of the outline with dialogue. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. There's a, there's, a, there's a thing that happens in, in rooms, and I've seen it a lot, and you know, we the the break process that we were describing, it was like our breaks were very detailed. We would we, you know work them through. It was, you know, Typically about a week to do a solid break on a story, um, but I never remember us, you know, other than in the broadest sense, like having an idea of the story where it was going as we were breaking it. And that's something I always like to do in room because I, I I've worked with people who will, who will literally go to the board and go, okay, we need this scene here and this scene here and this scene here and this act and then and then they work every every element of the story towards those points mm-hmm. and. And I and it's 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 a really weird and artificial way of writing, and that's one way I, I can't really accommodate because I kind of sit in a room and I go, well, what would happen next? And like somebody goes, well, what, what, where are you going? I go, I don't know. Let's see where, <laughs> let's see where we go. I mean, it's like because because it's a if if I don't know where the story is going, then the audience probably doesn't either. And it's like it's a it's it's a more I hesitate to use the word holistic or organic, but mm-hmm. it's like, but but there's a you know there's it's a more natural way of telling a story. It takes longer in the room, and not everybody has patience for it because it is a little harder to do, and it requires you sometimes to go if you're in Act Three and go, well, this story isn't fucking working at all. You go, okay, well, let's you know what the reason is not working is because the end of Act Three should be the end of Act One. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you're jamming everything back, but that's. What it is is the story's telling you something. Yeah, sometimes the story when, you, when you cut the guts out of something because it goes boom and you just blow it up and then the pieces sort of fall together anyway. I mean, you have all, everything you have is sort of in the DNA of it and then you kind of put it back together in it. Ron, know. Ron, by the way, was fearless about that. Mm-hmm. He really was. He, from from day one, he did not fucking care about blowing something up, even late in the game. And it's like, and again, that's that's a kind of courage you have to really. It, it takes confidence to do yeah. because. Because the way everybody looks at it is, oh my God, I've spent three days doing this. I don't want to give it up. It's like, but that's not really the good answer. It's yeah. like, it's like the good answer is, if it's not working, maybe you should give yeah. it up. That's that's going back to what you said, Renee, about uh, good enough. Let's Miller time. You know, I mean, that's exactly right. It's like you're always, you know, you're talking about 
I hate those guys who say shit like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jose? I say Miller time all the time. <laughs> but, I well, like, but I like you. Well, Miller is my nickname for you because it's the Spanish. It's actually, no, it's actually the English translation of his last name. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I've been calling him Miller for 20 years. Yeah. When, uh, uh, but break, breakthrough, what was your breakthrough? Well, I, actually, the, uh, and it's not because the script turned out to be so fantastic, but that moment that I was talking about, I think really busted down a wall for me that, that I didn't realize was there because I, I was having trouble because I kept trying to come up with story in a way that was more about the stuff, more mm-hmm. about the incident than it was about the people. Mm-hmm. And when and everybody always says, and you know, I learned it from the, when I first started writing as a teenager. Um, it's all about the character. It's all mm-hmm. about the character. But it hadn't. I hadn't really come to really understand that until that second season on Dark Angel. So I, I owe this man a, a huge lesson that that really allowed me to, to know how to write a scene and know that what's important in that scene isn't the stuff, it's the emotion. It's the, in, If you've got a good story, every scene will have a heart and an emotion and a, and a character drive to it. It feels like, like the, it's all about the characters, one of those shibboleths that you hear constantly, but it doesn't really come together until you've had a little bit of time under your belt and you've actually tried to... You know, like like you can you can sort of theoretically know how to build a bookcase, but then you like sort of mm-hmm. actually build a couple bookcases and they suck, and then like your fifth or sixth one, you're like, oh, you that's how the books fit in. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's a sort of it, yeah, it seems to be a very common experience, yeah. but you don't really get it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 character. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Man. <laughs> but, and, and hearing so you it guys took until that conversation to, yeah. of me literally grabbing you and going, please tell me what a story mm-hmm. is. Please tell me what I'm doing wrong. And for, and for I you know to break what you said about me behind my back. <laughs> we talked about that in the podcast, actually. Did you know it from hearing the podcast, or did, did somebody rat him out? <laughs> See, I remember the moment when Noreen was going to drop the wisdom, the real, you know, Star Trek wisdom on me, and I was, I was, I was, I was lying on his couch in his office on Sequest, and he, I saw his off, his his mouth open, kind of like, like Shatner, how he would take those pauses, you know, and then, and then I heard. Jonathan Frakes' voice, I heard Riker behind me going, now this is what I call a story conference, because he was actually coming in to visit Shatner. And it completely broke the moment, because I turned around and there's Riker in shorts, of all things, right? And then he never told me. And then he got to talking to Riker about, never know. you know, next generation <laughs> stuff, and I never knew the wisdom. Did, never did you really want the wisdom, or did you want number one? <laughs> <laughs> it was a strong number one. There was, there was. I was about to give him number two. So. Oh! So, believe me, it wouldn't have been that good. Um, I want to ask you guys just briefly before we get to our final question. Um, uh, Renee and Noreen, you guys are known to be great in the room, to be strong showrunners as well as strong numbers too. Um, lately, uh, I've heard about some difficult rooms. And how do you how do you work with a difficult room? How do you try to keep the train moving with a difficult room? Well, what do you mean a difficult room? A difficult room is almost you, always because of the showrunner, mm-hmm. or, or because the premise of the show is, is fundamentally <laughs> well, flawed. Well, one of these things are the correct other. and correct. The, yeah, I mean the premise is something I'm really curious about because I know a lot of people in the past couple of years have been running into this. Right, we're getting these big premise pilots, and then nobody knows including the creator of the show, what episode two is. Oh, God. So, you know, you're a strong number two on that show. You're brought in to kind of run that room. How do you contend with that? Specifically that that problem? Sure. Of, of, a, of a high concept that doesn't yeah. necessarily have a, 
a second stage. Yeah, let's assume um, all, well, the, the, all the writers right. can work. Uh, okay, can I, can I just interject? That's actually one of my favorite Rene expressions uh, from it's the second stage rocket. It's like when you're, and it always came up in medium because it's always That's like great. you could come up with a story and you, you uh, up to up to act one and two, you got, you know, sort of Allison doesn't know what's happening, all that. Rene would always say, what's the second stage rocket for the story? And it was usually the, the, yeah. the, the character moment that turned it into something different. I just want to <clears> single you out so for funny. I love great that because I love that expression yeah. and you and you take it you you expressions sort of take a life of their own in, in one show and you sort of bring that to another next show you work on and you teach them about dumb bits right or haircut on this idea take, 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 <laughs> all, the dumb, take all the dumb bits yeah. it'll be great <laughs> or let it suck let it suck that's an apt let metaphor suck. let it suck for a second I don't know that one sometimes you gotta just let stuff suck for a second and then it that, that, like that, don't that, kill that it way, immediately to, Rewind for a second to mm -hmm. something you were asking about. You know what you could do to make, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your showrunner's life better. One of the most annoying things a young writer can do is is be try to show how smart they are by explaining why things aren't good or aren't working. <laughs> you know, sure. so, um, he raises his hand. Yeah. His hand you know, I think I every add. episode of Tendu has had that example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though you might think you're the smartest person in the room, you know, you know, yes. you, sometimes you have to let you have to let things take their course. Yeah. You have to let it suck for a while, <laughs> you know, and you might be surprised. You know, people might pull it out and suddenly you're going, oh, I didn't know that's where this was going. Or, or you might be proven right and, you know, in an hour everyone will say, you know what, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. And then you can quietly say to yourself, oh, I right. knew it. They have to get there. Just try not to be so annoyed. But you, ha but you, have, you have to, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like the difference between knowing... I think that knowing... was my problem a little bit early on, right? <laughs> um, a little bit. <laughs> I think it might have been all I mean, our problems. I think everybody has that. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody yeah. thinks they're the smartest person to. in the room and they know something. And, you know. And, it, and you have to know that everybody walks out of a story break thinking, well, I saved that one. <laughs> <laughs> that idea, that whatever yeah. that one little yeah. thing, you know, somebody said, yeah, that's a good idea. It, it, was, it, it just becomes like the thing, you know. Right. The, it, you know I, Everyone's kind of the hero of their own narrative, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. And it, boy, that was extremely true when you used a lot of freelancers, too. too. That was that was the most interesting thing. Like a freelancer would come into a script and it was a disaster. Then it would get rewritten, and then the freelancer would see it and then go, "That's exactly what I wrote." <laughs> that was a very common. Awesome. But but I think but I think if we take if we take something as a as a, a one of the many things we're, we've learned today is that you know there's a difference between knowing theoretically the problems of something and saying, "Well, this isn't happening. That isn't happening. This isn't happening," and then you know actually having it come come out organically, which is it's. it's just what we're talking about character versus plot it's like you can say why a story doesn't work but you have to actually sit with that story for an hour or two hours or two days before you can actually get it out of the soul of the story why it is that it works and that's i think people mistake criticism for process you know mm -hmm. um so i, I let, let me ask you guys when you when you have that annoying green staff writer who's always making faces at the board or poo-pooing the ideas that, that are on the board how do you as a co-ep or a showrunner handle that writer, do you do you try to handle it in the room? Do you pull them aside and have a conversation? And how do you? And this sort of leads me into the larger question that I want to ask about how you know off of what Ben is is asking. How do you handle when you've got eight really strong personalities in a room and you are the top of that food chain? How do you handle the the dynamics in there as the boss? I mean, it, it, it's a huge challenge, and you know, I, I I guess probably the biggest thing I try to do is make sure everyone feels heard. Everyone feels listened to, um, to a point. 
<laughs> you know, because, but, but uh, you know, uh, and I mean, I, I, what I try to do is frame the way I see what the issues are, <laughs> you know, so that everybody's thinking about the same things, so that, you know, the, the room isn't scattered and everyone's, you know, thinking their own thoughts, but you say, here's what, you know, I think this is the part we need to solve. If we can fix this, it's right. going to fall into place, you know. Trust me on that. Well, we don't know how yet, but, you know, until we get past mm -hmm. this, it's not going to, you know. So framing the issues is incredibly important. It's incumbent upon the showrunners to really to set the tone of what the room is going to be. And, and again, the, the, the Star Trek room that we started in was very best idea wins, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that, is a, that is a healthy thing. But you have to let people know that. You have to say that from the very beginning. You have to be very firm about about rules, and especially, you know, look, you'll get you'll get people. I call them snipers. You know, <laughs> it's like like they're the dudes who will shoot down every fucking idea and never make a contribution. Yeah, Doctor No. It's like Doctor No, right? It's like so. And and on CSI, we had a couple of guys like that. I would take them out of the room. It's like <laughs> I would just say, look, we, you're not being helpful here, and you know, I'm not mad at you, but this is not what we need in this room right now because. Any good story break in any good story room, uh, writer's room, it's it's chemistry. It's 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 like it's the same as a good cast. It's like you got to get you have to have people who complement one another and work together. You can have people who've all created their own shows and are wonderful writers in and of their own right and have a room that's a disaster because everybody's pulling in an entirely different direction. That's not what you necessarily need. It's like when people understand the show together and there's a collective ownership of the product that's mm -hmm. the best possible thing that you can have and it's like one of the reasons we look back fondly on, on next generation at least one of the reasons i do is that everybody had a, uh, our skill sets were very complimentary and it's like you know i would say like well, like a, a physicist well <laughs> so. if you have that phd from uh, where was it from her name I, I, was, I was a romantic playwright from new york sure. it's, like, it's like so but yeah so but but everybody everybody was able to to make a contribution you could you could literally look at the breaks that we did almost all of them in like season 6 and 7 and see little pieces of each of us mm -hmm. in these mm. stories and that's that's like that's a really great thing to have, and and that's, cool. that's what I've tried to replicate with staffs. It's like you try to find people who are going to complement one another, because um, if you hit that right, it's fantastic. It makes your yeah. life so yeah. much better. It's it's hard, you know. It's very hard. You're, you're, you're and you're getting from all sides. I mean, if if I could yeah. put together, tell me it would be easy if I could put together the ideal staff of the people that I've worked with. Sure. You know, but the, the reality is. No one's ever available. You know, all those people aren't. You know, maybe you're gonna, you'll be lucky to have one of them, you know, available to do a show with you. Um, and so you are. You're, you're getting. You know, suddenly you're in a room with a bunch of people, strong opinions. Everyone does kind of think they're the smartest person in the room. Um, and, and by the way, and by the way, sometimes it's like you, you know, like if you think about recreating our old or TNG stuff, because. Ron and I did a couple of pilots together over the last few years, and they mm -hmm. were wonderful experiences. But before we, but we, before we did it, we actually went to dinner, and we were both like, "Can we actually make this thing work? Us writing this thing together?" Mm. Because we hadn't worked together like that for like twenty years, and and we were both like bosses. <laughs> yeah. So so that's a whole a different dynamic. Different dynamic. Yeah. And and truth to tell, when we started. It was a little bumpy, you know, and, and, sure. we, and but but the difference was we were friends and, and friends for a long time and we were honest with each other. And so we had we had like, OK, 
I don't like what you're doing here or I don't like what you're doing here and here's why. It's like, I love you, but this is bullshit. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. and what we had to do was we had to re-understand and relearn each other's process. Okay. And, and so once we understood that and we were able to, to, to change it a little bit, the work experience became terrific. Sure. Well, I imagine and, there's a little bit of that also when, when, you know, look, I mean, we've all been working in this business for about, you know, for long, some, some for longer, some for about 20 years. And, and you know, there's, there's a world where, Renee, you work with Jose as a staff writer, but then you later work with him as a, as a co-executive yeah. producer, supervising producer. So even, I mean, it's you're not getting, he's not getting the same person that he had the first time, and you're not getting the same guy. So yeah. there's, there's probably some, you try, to, you try to adjust your work style to, like, you know, how much that, that person has changed or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. In the case of Jose, I had to suffer his transgressions as a staff writer because y'all couldn't tell me from him on Medium. But... <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, well, and you still su suffer with him every week. <laughs> no. Let me uh, wrap up, uh, starting with Javi. We end, as we always do, by asking, what are you watching on television? What's getting you inspired? What books are you reading? What movies are you watching? You know, uh, uh, very quickly. In the future, when all of the, the blogging, tweeting, Facebooking will, will, will be lost to the sands of time, Mad Men will stand as an edifice of televisual greatness. It is my favorite show on television, and uh, and I, I am watching it religiously and thinking yeah. it's every bit as great now as it's ever been. What's it called again? <laughs> twenty four. Uh, oh, new twenty four. Oh, that's right, new Jack Bauer Power Hour, like on on, uh, on Monday. Yeah, no, I'm in. I'm watching the hell out of that. Actually, when the day this podcast uh -huh. drops, right? That's yeah, right. That's, that's, that's the return of Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer's Grand Guignol of Carnage. That's I'm right. in. I'm watching. I'm gonna watch the shit out of that. I'm right. Children of Tendu is brought to you by Fox. Nuri, <laughs> <laughs> what are you watching? Hey, I, I am the former Shh. assistant to Howard Gordon. I have to plug the boss work. Um. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm loving the Game of Thrones. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty damn fantastic. It's, it's beautiful to watch a show that's, that's done at such an enormously high level of, yeah. of writing and physical production. It's just, it's just kind of, and, and it's, it's just kind of a joy to watch. Um, it's just fun. I look forward to it. I've been watching Fargo. Oh, I great, heard right? things. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm only dipped into it. I'm They've only aired a couple episodes, right? Three episodes. Okay. Mm -hmm. It reminds you of your uh, Midwestern childhood. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine is also Game of Thrones. I mean, I, I could not be more addicted to that thing and, and I'm watching them all and then re-watching them like the, the maniac that I am and then when, if, when everything is done, then I will read the 7,000 <laughs> volume. So yeah, I'm I'm trying to draw out Game of Thrones into like a ten year experience. The way that it's working out, it's going to be a very interesting thing to see because the the last they're already changing the novels. It's yeah. already very. I yeah. mean, so it's, it's going to be very interesting how these are going to be parallel works of TV yeah. and literature, and they're really I think they're really going to diverge as 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 time goes they on. They seem so like they're cool. going that direction already. Yeah, yeah and they I, are. It may be well, a they revealed who killed King Joffrey. So it may be a unique circumstance yeah. in 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 sort of literature and yeah. adaptation mm -hmm. that these things are happening at the same yeah. time, but existing in their own thing. D has anybody read Which the is books? fantastic. No, I've, I've, Nobody has read the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, anybody at the table now? No? What, about, what about you? What are you watching? Oh, Fargo, I'm loving. Uh, Mad Men is as good as it ever was. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, Justified just ended, which is my absolute favorite mm -hmm. show of cool. all time. Uh, yeah. It Excellent. ended the whole run? It's done? Uh, they ended the season. They have one, one more season to go. 
Uh, yeah, but have it's, the answer it's the in fact justified? Have I don't know yet. <laughs> we don't know yet. We'll find out next season. It's not justified with a question mark. <laughs> you know, you know what? Uh, uh, it's not where in the world is it San justified? <laughs> I think I've told you this joke already. It's like my least favorite billboard of last year: Mark Wahlberg, Lone Survivor. I told you this. Yeah. My least favorite billboard right now uh-huh. is the normal heart. Which is, uh, you can't start a war. To, to, to win a war, you have to start one. Which is demonstrably false. It, what? It, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> World War II? <laughs> World War I? There you go. Join a war in progress. Yeah. Uh, thank, <laughs> hey, hey, thank you guys all for being here. Thanks for this crossover episode. I think Thank we you. did. Did we, did we, did we join right. the universes right. together and solve the cliffhanger I by using each other's powers? Right. Okay, good. I think we did. It's, it's going to cross over into Friends and Fraser next. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having yeah, us. We really appreciate it. Our pleasure. All right. Thank you, guys. Great to be here. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com.